Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Delian, and today we have Patrick Kilmer, uh, which he is the CEO of the Kilmer Group. Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. Good to see you, man. Yeah, likewise, I truly, truly am excited about this conversation. As before we hit recorded, literally, I cut you off, and I'm like, okay, stop talking. We're having way too much fun. <laughs> we have to click record because I love to Let's go. get all this great conversation on the podcast. But before diving into everything in regards to what you do as an entrepreneur, your uh, recent book that you launched, so on and so forth, I gave a really small introduction of who you are and what you do. Do you mind unpacking that for our listeners and viewers? Yeah. So I've been, you know, I, I got into business for myself. Gosh, I mean, I came out of a family business. So my dad, you know, built houses for a living. His dad had, you know, had a, had a business selling basically, like, you know, things for plumbers. So, you know, sort of a third generation entrepreneur. And, um, and I got, I, I went to grad school, did a master's in economics. Um, and, and that was fantastic. All my friends got like real jobs and they, they went, you know, to, you know, big corporations and banks and, and all this. And, and I said, no, I, I, I found a mentor in real estate and I, I'm going to go follow that dream. So I jumped into real estate almost 20 years ago um, and, you know, have built a company that we, we do residential commercial investment um, land deals, all of that. And, and really, uh, I've, as an entrepreneur had to shift from doing all those things myself to now going finding and finding really great people to, to run those, those pieces of the business. And, um, and in so doing, um, have really ended up, you know, I think you, you, you shift from when you make that shift, you have to become a great teacher. Um, and hopefully I'm, I'm on my, on my way to being a really great teacher of great talent. Um, so finding, identifying talent and then, and then really keeping them on a trajectory where they can grow and, and become more fulfilled as a result of, of the opportunities in front of them. Um, so that's sort of me in a nutshell. Um, you know, I've been really fortunate and in, in, intensely blessed in, in, in the business partners that I've, that I've found over the years. Um, and frankly, just having an amazing, um, wife who supports me and, and, and pushes me to go do more big things. I love that. I love the fact that you were in a, you know, like an entrepreneurial family, your family was in real estate, and then you start dabbling into that succeeding quite well, what I understand, and now kind of putting a exit strategy or putting the proper people in place to run that business while you could do your other things such as write your book and so on and so forth. Uh, so tell me a bit about right now in regards to the real estate side, before we go into the other stuff that you're doing in the entrepreneur world, is that still something you're doing actively or you've done it actively? Now it's full passive. You have the team working there and it's more just dealing with your assets that are coming into play as a passive income, or are you always looking to grow, uh, have more deals, have more doors and so on? Yeah. So it was interesting. I, 
I wanted to build it so that if I get hit by a bus, all these people could take care of their families. So that was sort of first first domino. And, and, and that actually was sort of a paradigm in my head that, that really motivated me. Um, and, uh, and so that was sort of first, first thing. I know that if, if, I, if I take my foot off the gas for a year and decide to write a book, which I did, um, the business stays on track. And that's an amazing place to be. Um, and, and frankly, for me, I mean, that's the definition between, you know, we oftentimes talk about, I have a business. Well, so many people actually just have a practice mm-hmm. such that if they were extracted, the business wouldn't exist anymore. Right. So it's a different asset class that we're talking about when we talk about a business versus a practice. There's very profitable practices, but it doesn't actually make it just because you have to file taxes in maybe a different way. You have an LLC or whatever. It doesn't actually make it, to my mind, the asset class of a business. And, and you know, sort of that, that's first domino. Second for me is I'm, I'm now at a point where my kids are getting old enough that they want to learn through the business which is allowing me to reinsert myself into the business and ha- allow it to be a vehicle for their growth and development, which is super cool as well. That's what my family's business was for me. And I think when business can serve that purpose, it becomes a generationally wealth a- allowing idea. And I'm not just talking about fiscal wealth, but sort of the, 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 the growth of the mind that I think the school of a family business is so amazing for my kids and it certainly was for me i learned much more about business in my you know digging holes on my dad's cruise than i ever did in business school frankly um you know just seeing that client interaction seeing the decisions made on you know sort of the stress of of client interaction and and acquisition of new accounts and all sorts of stuff so i think for for me that's that's where i am now currently um and what's beautiful about the business is is when i when i reinsert myself, I can accelerate it much more because now I'm working on the business instead of in the business constantly. Um, and so I can be a multiplier to my business because of, um, because of the, the leverage that it is for me and, and, you know, the people I have in place. Um, I think, uh, I'm also moving into the phase where we will be doing more, especially in the real estate space, where we're doing more acquisition of passive income sort of ideas as well. So, um, you know, whether it's a title company or, or, or a building or something like that, that we're, that we're either partnering with people on or actually founding ourselves. Um, so it's a really, really cool spot to be in. Patrick, I, I love what you kind of mentioned over there. Something you definitely want to highlight for our listeners to really catch upon. You talked about some concepts that Michael Gilbert explains quite well in his book, The E-Myth. In regards mm-hmm. to as an entrepreneur, you have to be aware of when you have a business and calling yourself a business owner, are you actually driving the business? Are you, pl- are you in the business or are you working on the business? And there's a difference. And like mm-hmm. you said, the in the business aspect is, yeah, you could have a business, you could be having employees, but once you stop working, is the business still re- uh, generating revenue? And that's the best way to look at it. And Michael Gilbert actually uh, spreads it out in three ways within his book, which is there's a part that you're the entrepreneur, there's a part that you're the manager, and there's a part that you're a practitioner. And you should be playing somewhat of these three roles. But if most of the time you're in the percentage of the practitioner, which is actually doing the work, all you're doing is you're owning a business. You're not a business owner. So the correlation that you just gave with the real estate side, that you're able to take a step back and go into it whenever you want, because now your kids are getting older and learning through the framework of doing and not just teaching through the business, such as how you learn with your parents, I think is such a great uh, approach in that regards, Patrick. So I love the fact that you mentioned that. Definitely something I wanted to highlight. 
Uh, so Patrick, you did mention you were able to take a step back because you have your systems and process in place within your business, with your real estate, money's coming in, everything's great. And you took a year or two to really prepare that book. Talk to us a bit about that book. What is it about? What does it teach entrepreneurs? Let's unpack that a bit. Yeah. And by the way, I, you know, I talked to a lot of people. I just got off the phone with somebody who was like, I want to write a book and I've got all these great ideas. And one of the questions I asked this person in particular was, well, how do you want to grow as a result of this? Like, where do you want to be in two years as a result of having exerted yourself in that way? I mean, who do you want to become? And for me, writing the book was, was part of my own professional journey as well. I'd never written a book before. And um, so I found a great editor and, and had him kick my rear end in, to become a better writer and a better, a better explainer and storyteller of ideas because that's really the business that I'm in now is I, I'm a teacher. And, and the degree to which I can invest myself into the people around me is the degree to which uh, I can offer them greater opportunity than they would otherwise have outside of my organizations. So sort of just a side note, asterisk, but I wanted to mention that because I talk to a lot of people. It's funny, once you write a book, everyone's like, hey, can I talk to you about writing a book? Which is pretty cool. It's a really kind of neat space to be in. Um, the book is called Find Your Six. Um, the the subtitle is is a little bit, I mean, to, to an entrepreneur's ears, it should sound a little bit harsh. So the subtitle is Stop Lead Generating, Start Building Influence. And and so the uh, so I take a shot right out of the gates at this concept of lead generation that we've had in our lexicon as entrepreneurs for for decades, and we can talk about that at, about that um, to the extent that you want to. But my what I what I wanted to do was help entrepreneurs um, to and really anybody who owns a business or who runs a business to understand how to become disruption proof in a, in an in an era where gosh every industry is facing disruption of one kind or, or another. I think oftentimes we think about disruption in sort of the classic um, Dr. Christensen from Harvard concept, which is, you know, tech disruption, like what happened to blockbuster disruption, right? Um, so there's, well, how do, how do we become disruption proof from that? But also how do we become disruption proof when somebody comes into our market and tries to outcompete us by a race to the bottom in terms of pricing? Um, that's a real disruption as well. How do we become disruption proof when all of a sudden you have inflation that we haven't seen in generations and that changes the dynamics of supply and demand? Those, those are disruptions. And, and so that's where, that's what the book really talks about. And uh, the thesis is you don't need millions of people which is a sort of a lead generation approach, right? I, I need to talk to hundred people a day in order to get that one person to sign on and, and, and get this account. I need to knock this many doors. I need, to, um, I need to call on this many doctors to see when their lease is up or whatever it is, right? Um, in order to have success. Rather that the, the only thing that makes you both disruption proof um, and, and much more fulfilled over the course of your career are the people that you very strategically decide to align yourself with in business. And so that's the six. What I found as I did the research for this book, I sat down with about 60 of the most successful people that I could possibly find in all sorts of industries and asked them about the, the people in their lives who had made the biggest difference on their careers. And the average number, just to sort of fast forward that, it was, it was awesome. I'd sit with them for as long as it took to get out all the stories. But the average number of pivotal relationships for people who are at the top of their fields over 
long careers was just six people. And what I also learned in those conversations with there, there was common denominators to how these people thought about their major accounts that had been pivotal, their, their mentors who had been totally pivotal to their success, um, their business partners. And, and so that's what I write about in the book is here's, here's what I learned from understanding the, the, the tricks of the trade, if you will, of really high performers in finding great relationships. And it turns out that we're actually pretty bad at that. And the main reason we're pretty bad at that is because from the get-go as entrepreneurs, as people selling something, because we're all selling something in some way, is, is that we're taught right from the get-go this concept of lead generation. And it starts to screw around with our mindset towards talent. That uh, And so I unpack that in the book. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. But is that I'm sure I, I've probably opened more questions than I have uh, given answers. <laughs> well, that's the point of it because we're going to unpack it and we're going to go into it. So I do have some questions because there's a very yeah. interesting concept in regards to the lead gen. Like you said, you're coming in strong in regards to pushing certain uh, ideologies that have been very predominant in the business world in regards to lead gen, lead gen, lead gen. Now, one way that you're talking about it, I'm correlating it to uh, the book Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, which he mm-hmm. kind of alludes to that there's specific people within your network that you should go knock on their door that they have X amount of people within their network, or you should go knock on people that are salespeople and connect relations with them. So then they sell your service ideology to their network. And then there's the people that are the experts. So I think that's where you're kind of alluding to in regards to instead of knocking on a thousand doors, go find out one door that knows a thousand people, sell them your idea. And this person will become a, uh, a spokesperson of yours in certain regards. So I think that's where you're going with the relationship aspect. Now, does very, that mean, okay, so we're correct. So we're on the right page. Yeah. Now, does that mean by doing that, does that mean that you should stop completely doing lead generation or we're tweaking the approach of lead generation in regards to work kind of smarter than harder? Is that what you're kind of alluding to with the finding your six? There's definitely an efficiency play here, right? Like you only have so much time. And you know, one of the things we talk about on our team is, you know, spend your professional time, effort, and money with the most influential people so that you can spend your time, effort, and money on the personal side with the people who, you know, in my case, who have my same last name, they're my kids, they're, you know, it's, it's my friends and my family, the people who are closest to me, who may not have a ton of influence on my business directly, but who, you know, I owe time to. And so I think business, business is a vehicle for all the other things and people in your life that you, that you, um, that deserve your time is super important. So yes, there's definitely an efficiency play. And I think it's, it's part of the living the good life as well. And I think that's why a lot of people get into entrepreneurship as well. Um, one of the things, and I want to be clear on, on the, on the lead gen, because I, I use the, the, the term lead generation. And, you know, the reality is in my chart of accounts, I have the, you know, there's a little line that says lead generation. And I know how much I'm spending on that. And that's not a bad thing. Here's it's it's more the mindset. One one of the things that was totally fascinating to me in doing the research is we didn't actually even use the term lead generation until in in sales and marketing until the year 1976. We didn't actually apply that term. Now clearly there were people who were doing great business prior to that, but there's a mindset shift that happens around 1976 and we see it in the 80s and early 90s. In you know, and we can think of sort of think about the financial sector, Wolf of Wall Street and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, these, these classic movies of pound of the phones and 
dialing for dollars and just memorizing scripts, trying to hawk penny stocks. Um, all of that came out of this, this mindset of lead generation. We didn't really have call centers prior to that point. We, so what happens is, is the lead generation mindset that I'm attacking is one that commoditizes the client, which just says, it doesn't matter. All I need to do is just a total numbers game. And it doesn't matter how many people I need to talk to. I need to find that sale today. And that's what I'm being critical of in the book because it's actually not the recipe for the most successful that I spoke to. Okay. okay. Um, and so what, what does this do? What's interesting is it leads to a disruptable business. So if you're in the lead generation game, what's happening now? AI can do all of that typically better than a human being and for more hours per day, or at the very least, somebody can offshore, you know, take it offshore. If in the U S your, your, your talent's really expensive here locally, but you can, you know, you can have somebody, you can have, have a call center in a much cheaper place in the world and they can use the same scripts and same dialogues and become really good at it. And so if you're doing what can easily be outsourced or done by AI, then you're becoming rapidly replaceable which means your career is disruptable or your company is disruptable. Um, what I've also found is that people who do lead generation um, on a regular basis, and I did it when I first got into business, like I just, I drank from the fire hose of this stuff and I knocked on every door and learned every script and I was good at this stuff too. But what I, what I, I began asking myself is the, is the question I ask entrepreneurs when, when I'm you know, in a coaching environment is, how many years can you do that and be deeply fulfilled? You know, take that lead generation idea and do that for the next three years, every day, five days a week, two hours a day. Are you more excited three years from now to do that than you are today? And the answer is unanimously, absolutely not. This yeah. is drudgery and I'm paying my dues at best, right? What happens is it also makes you disruptable even within the company. So how many people do you, do you know who were in business in the 80s and the 90s, you know, who are just classic salesmen? They bopped around from one sales position to another, to another, to another. Insurance, financial, real estate, cars, whatever it is. And they're just a career salesperson. Why? Because they're easily replaceable. Oh, you're making too much money. Raise quota. You're out of here. Oh, you're not, you're not hitting quota. We're just going to replace you with the next super you know, motivated kid out of college. So what I found is that that, that wasn't the recipe for long-term growth of a career or a business that relied on not being disruptable. The more that we disrupt the relationship between our clients, the more we become disruptable ourselves. And then, you know, think about a hundred person business. If you have a hundred people, you know, who, who are doing a disruptable thing and all of a sudden an incumbent comes in, all of a sudden the business is really disruptable as well. And so disruption proofing our business has so much to do with um, not doing something that can be easily repeatable. And that's what I'm, I'm really going for in the book. By the way, it also leads you to, to do activities that you could be super excited about, not just three years out, but five or 10 or, or more. And that's what I saw when I sat down with these folks. It was just, they were... They had these relationships, these six relationships were relationships that they still had and they were excited to introduce others to and who were still great fans of, of projects that they were launching. Um, and so 
that's that's what the book is really talking about at its core. Okay, so very interesting. You alluded to several things over there. So first and foremost, obviously in the end of 70s, 80s, 90s, there was a huge uh, uh, approach, like you said, the cold call approach, uh, the numbers game, because consumerism just was peaking at that point, right? And as we're kind of going towards that. But then we're getting to a uh, place in the business world right now, like you said, that uh, the, 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 the authenticity, the approach, the, the human touch is becoming so much more important. So that's where it comes into the base of, instead of just doing those numbers games, because you said it with the people that you support, it's just inevitable that they won't be able to do it and be passionate about it year over year. So building those relationships, not only with potential tipping point people in your network, but with your customers is going to bring you so much more fulfillment throughout the job in itself. So that approach of leading, and this is something which is one of my, my, my main pillars within my coaching uh, methodology, is you have to bring massive value, then it's going to create massive impact, then it's going to create massive income. Towards the other way around, when you're cold calling, is just driven on in, in income, then you look yep. at what value can I bring, what income, but it's not the way that works today with the, the, the mindset. So I love the fact yeah, that- Yeah, in fact, so this is in reverse, right? That's actually the fake it till you make it approach, right? Mm -hmm. Like fake it so that you can generate some dollars. Once you generate some dollars, maybe you survive a long, uh, long enough to actually become good at your craft, right? Yeah. So we're doing it in reverse. Prior to the lead generation sort of evolution, you had to be good at your craft in order to get people to buy from you. Okay, so- But it's, it's been flipped now. So I, that's, ex I a hundred percent agree. And that's where we're kind of going towards. Like I said, we're more, we have to be value driven as entrepreneurs so much more. And just honestly, just capitalism with empathy, is something that I prone and mm -hmm. I talk about highly, you know, that do your money, tremendous. do your thing, but do not hurt others. Do not hurt the planet. Do not uh, d diminish other people's work and so on and so forth. And then just go out there and make the most money you can with the proper way and bringing value. Right mm -hmm. now, in regards to something you mentioned and alluded to that I want to unpack a bit more uh, with making your business uh, disruptive proof. Now, mm -hmm. how do we go about that? I'm going to guess that I pretty much know where you're going to go with this, but I'm really interested for you to unpack this because we are coming to a very interesting time in, in, in society right now with the hyperinflation, with the mm -hmm. fiat currency being at the peak right now, with mm -hmm. finishing off a pandemic, and there was so much money that was getting printed. We're seeing prices change. We're seeing definitely something coming up around the corner. Uh, we could call it in air quotes, a certain recession of sorts coming up. So how can a business owner, entrepreneur towards beginning or top tier, mid tier, whatever entrepreneur be recession proof? What are some of your ideologies that you go about that? Yeah. And I love how, you know, gosh, real life gives amazing examples. I was just um, in a room this morning with, um, six other people in the real estate space here locally. And, and that was the question. So do we see this? How do we see the, the coming sort of tidal wave of, of a shift? Because that's what recession really causes is, is shifts in marketplaces because it plays with elasticity of demand. It, it, plays, with, um, it plays with supply in, in a very interesting way. And so, you know, the reality is, I think, one, if you're an entrepreneur, this is what you live for. <laughs> like it's these types of things where you you have got to be excited about the opportunity that's around the corner that you don't even know about today, but you're well poised for it. Now, how do you become well poised for it? You can't buy it on, you know, you know, with pay-per-click or in my world, you know, on the residential side with Zillow. You can't you can't buy ad space that's going to going to you know help you through a recession. 
the only thing that makes you disruption proof are the relationships that you have around you. Plain and simple. And that sounds easy because you're like, oh, we're relational beings. Actually, we're pretty lousy as a generation at being relational because we spend so much time behind screens. Um, you know, it's just sort of in general. Like, we're really good at curating who we are online and that sort of thing, but we're not really good at authentic one-on-one, person-to-person depth. And, and so that, to me, is, is, is the only way to, to survive dips in marketplaces and actually, and actually grow through them. Um, so one of the things that we were talking about, is to give you sort of real-life examples, was you know, who do you know, right? Like t- credit is going to be tighter than ever. It is tighter than it has been in years. Okay, great. Who has cash available? That that's a smaller percent of the percentage of the population who has cash available, who has who has non-traditional credit relationships. And those are people that 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 have been investing in things and doing deals uh, that, you know, way before everybody else was, you know, had cheap credit and was able to do that. So we're doubling down into those types of relationships. Um, right now, a lot of our builder relationships are just hunkering down and cutting costs and waiting for um, and waiting for the next sort of uptick because they sold like crazy over the last three four years, but they're hunkering down, so they're not going to be probably as well positioned as people looking to pick up cheap land um, are going to be in the next few years. So looking for the the opportunities in the marketplace is really important, and then asking yourself, okay, who do I need to become friends with in order to 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 shift with the the potential opportunities here. So that's sort of high level. But what I found, you know, I, I was young when 2008, 2009 hit the, the real estate market. And I remember um, my business growing and it grew through business to business relationships that could put their name to me. And, and what I found was those business to business relationships were, were relationships where we had we had come together so that I could help them grow their business. And the, the, major re- the major reason why I was able to help them grow their business was through my network. I could connect them to other great people. Mm. I didn't have to have all the answers, even especially as a young entrepreneur. You're learning your craft. Um, one of the things I realized is that I, I needed to be a, a wisdom distributor. And the degree to which I could distribute wisdom through other great minds was the degree to which my business was secure. Business, what it, what it did is it took me out of the commodity game. I was no longer, like information is a commodity now. Anybody can get information. Even knowledge has been somewhat commoditized, but it's the taking of knowledge and the application of that knowledge to discrete moments for clients or for other great entrepreneurs that makes you unique and valuable in the marketplace. And so when I, as I found the talent who could be advocates for my business in my six, I ended up also finding, um, a building a huge network of amazing people, some of whom were not going to be wildly influential for me, but who I could make connections to. So I'd say if you're, if you're the type of person, you're in business right now, um, the first thing I, I would say to you is every single day, do the following, set an appointment with somebody who you think could be even potentially influential for your business. Every single day, set, set one appointment, 
have one appointment a day. Go to coffee with one person a day. Um, sit down with them and have that, that conversation. And then thirdly, connect two amazing people in your network together every single day. If you do that, and you do that for 200 or 250 days out of the year, you don't have to worry about business actually coming in the door for the most part. You don't have to, you don't have to wonder where your talent internally is going to come from because you've got a network looking for you who understand how your business works. Um, and so the question then is, okay, how to go have those meetings? Like what is it, what are those, what's the relationship look like? Cause we're again, pretty bad at that these days, but that's the core of, you know, if, if I was just going to tell, you know, somebody launching a business or worried about, you know, their business in this, in this disruption that's coming for us all. If you do that, your business will be secure and you're going to find opportunities that you never would have dreamt of. Okay. A lot to unpack there. I'm going to do my best over it because there was a lot of great things that I really want to re-highlight for our viewers and listeners here. So first and foremost, what I understand, the best way to be recession-proof is really, really lean on the aspect of your relations. So once again, what we spoke about in the beginning, it's the aspect of your network. The better network you have, the better connections you have, the better it's going to keep you recession-proof. Second thing, in regards to recession, you correlated to the uh, subprime lending of 2008, especially in the States. There was a huge, huge, huge uh, downtick in recession in that regards. But if you position yourself for entrepreneurs, that's where a lot of money is made. Every mm -hmm. single person that you know that is highly successful has potentially made the big part of their money through recession. And that was an example of 2008 towards the Black Monday in 79, towards whatever, September 11, whatever causes that really shake up the world every 10 years or so, every decade or so, there's an opportunity there. And even the ones like Patrick, you mentioned that you don't even know that they're coming about, you just have to be ready for it. And one way to be the most ready for that is having a solid network. The the last thing that you alluded to that I truly love this example, and I'm going to utilize a bit more in that regards, Patrick, is three things you should do to grow your network and grow your business is have a meeting with somebody once per day, have somebody have a meeting with you. So you connect with somebody, somebody's trying to connect with you. So those are two things. And then try to connect two people from your network together that you find that could be a good match. Just by doing that in an authentic way, naturally your business will grow. And I truly believe that, Patrick, because I do agree that business is nothing more than one human speaking to another human. It's human interactions. The more you're eloquent in that communication and in that uh, correlation, the more your business is going to succeed if you're an authentic person and you have a great product uh, in play. So Patrick, I feel like we could talk until tomorrow morning, but I do want to be respectful for your time over here. So my last question to you is, after uh, our listeners uh, and our viewers listening and viewing this podcast, they're like, my God, this is amazing. I want to get in touch with Patrick, know a bit more about him, or maybe even uh, buy your book. Where's the best place that they could connect with you and uh, go about that? Yeah. Easiest place is one, one stop shop is find your com. So that's all spelled out. Find your com. Um, you'll learn more about me. There's a free copy. Uh, there's a free chapter of the book on that site. You just download it, kick the tires on it. If you don't like it, don't buy it. But if you do buy one, buy, buy one for a friend. Um, I also have what I call the find your six challenge. Again, a free resource on, um, on the site. And it's just, it's just a download and it allows someone to go for, I believe it's an eight week program that we built to, to help somebody step through really the adoption, not only of the tactics, but also the mindset behind the really this new habit because it is for so many people it's a very new habit 
And it's not networking. It's not sort of the speed dating networking that I think we oftentimes think of. So it really does require some new habits in order to have different results. And so that's why we built the Find Your Six Challenge. That is really, it's really well accompanied by the book, um, but it's also a standalone idea. Um, and you can just sign up for my uh, my weekly, what I call the weekly six. And it's just a quick little, you know, six nuggets on a, on a weekly basis where people can, you know, again, adopt some of this mindset around building their business. I love that. Thank you very much, Patrick. Everything will be in the show notes below. True pleasure having you. And guys, we will see you on the next show. Bye-bye. Chris, it's been a blast. Christopher Devian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.